Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by Max Steinberg of SaberSim to talk about the hottest topic in the DFS streets, which is simulations of DFS contests and NFL games in order to create lineups. How do the Sims work? What does it mean for DFS? How to use Sims successfully? and how that is going to impact the future of how people are playing in these contests. Really enjoyed getting into the weeds of The Sims, and I found Max to be uh, very intelligent and a great conversation. I hope that you guys enjoy it as well. If you like the show, you can always leave a rating or review on the Apple Podcast Store. You can subscribe to the Patreon of the TakeCast to get bonus episodes of the show, Dynasty Rankings, lots of fantasy football content going on there. A link to that is in the description of this podcast. And you can just tell a friend about the show if you want to as well. That's always helpful. Now let's go ahead and get into it. All right, everyone. Very excited to welcome in to the program a World Series of Poker Final table, uh, fourth place, beautiful participant. I, a participant. I was like, I was like, finalist. Finalist is good, but I guess in a certain sense, you know, everyone who kind of uh, who who gets through is a finalist. But I, as a um, a kid who came of age during the poker boom, I mean, uh, Max, you are uh, an extremely accomplished daily fantasy player, uh, an entrepreneur, a business owner. But for me, who remembers, you know, uh, Jamie Gold and Moneymaker, and Joe Cata with the pocket pairs at the final table. Making the final table of the World Series of Poker, to me, is your greatest accomplishment. So I am very excited to to talk with you today. Yeah, thank you. Great intro. Let's uh, get into it. Let's get into it. So the reason why I'm having you on the program now is that uh, your website, sabersim.com, which we are going to talk a lot about over the course of the show, as far as I can tell, pretty deep in the weeds, you guys were the first people to bring the ability to do simulations from something that professional DFS players were doing, uh, you know, and building their own, you know, doing the own inputs and doing the simulations themselves to the people, to a, a pub, a, a front end ability to run simulations for slates of daily fantasy. And that's just sort of in the air right now. Um, established the run and their subsidiary the solver is offering that um, ev really every daily fantasy website to some degree is talking about simulations or using simulated probabilities so i guess let's let's just sort of go back to the beginning um when did the ability to use these simulations sort of these i i guess they're like kind of 
and again, I'm not a very technical mathematical guy, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. But when did you realize that this was a possibility to have a front end facing version of this for consumers as opposed to something that you ran only locally on your own stuff? Well, um, man, that's sort of a, uh, so it's a big, it's a big question. I mean, so, we got time. so yeah, I'll just start from the beginning. So when I, I invested in Saber Sam, it was 2019 and the whole thing that Saber Sam built on is a play-by-play -play simulator. I'm not right. sure what Awesome or I'm sorry, Stochastic, um, the right. <laughs> solver, how, how they do their simulations. I have not used their product. Um, but from the beginning, we we just have built everything on this play-by-play -play simulator, right? And so um, even building lineups, like we were not a traditional optimizer, even going back years ago, we would sort of build lineups using this clever, clever way of looking at buckets of our simulations that we've made and sort of optimizing your lineup off of those sim buckets instead of just like a average projection or just overall right. projection or whatever, or upside or whatever. Um, and so I, I'm trying to figure out what, um, my business partners would be okay with sharing, but basically sure. we actually built a contest sim, um, a little while back and we actually did not think of it as, Hey, we're going to use this as a product. We thought, okay, we're going to use this to just sort of optimize our own, our own lineup stuff. building process. Yeah. And just to say, okay, if we do this contest simulation, what are going to be the best build settings and can we align the lineup builder so it just more closely follows what we think well, is that going was to how, be optimal for, yeah. That was how the original optimizers came about. You know, right. the original yeah. optimizers were these, you know, effective, I mean, going way, way back. I remember when I first started playing DFS, um, what we would do, me and my buddies in college, is we would download the projections from Basketball Monster, which used to be like the greatest. Right, the I mean, yeah. the, like Basketball Monster was unimpeachable. Every, you had to have a subscription. If you didn't have it, you were losing. And we would download those and we would just run a solve function in Excel to get the, the highest projected points in mm -hmm. the lineup. And then obviously, you know, um, Sahil, uh, Max Sahil sued uh, Max Delury. You know, he was sort of the maybe the first one who we knew was using that to do 150 sets and then also had the ability to, um, you know, edit his lineups as it was happening. But basically, all the big daily fantasy sites took their cue from what people were already doing, which is, I guess, if you think about it, kind of the way innovation makes sense, which right. is just things that individuals are doing and then making that a product that that everyone can use. And and you also said something very interesting there, which I think I did not understand about simulations for a long time, and I think is still sort of under-discussed, under-known, which is that it's not so much actually just about simulating the games. Like, obviously, that's a huge part of it. But simulating the games is really only half the step to getting to optimal lineups. And we've had that stuff available for a while. Like, um, Kevin Cole at Roto-Grinders had a sim thing for showdown slates where effectively he would just, and this was publicly facing for a long time, which is just simulating the game and then, you know, kind of producing ranges of outcomes for the point scores. But that is, that only will get you so far in terms of creating plus EV lineups. It's, it's the contest simulation that seems much more tricky to me. 
Oh, wow. I completely disagree. I think creating the actual simulations are, and I know this firsthand because we've been working on it for so long. You know, Matt Hunter is the founder of our company. Um, Before I was an investor in it, he was working on the simulator for years. Since I invested in SaberSim 2019, we've been working on the simulator since then as well. Um, Hired a team, just like have been working on it very hard and making an actual play-by-play simulator is extremely difficult. I'm like the reason that we've actually gotten our simulator to the point where it's at, and I don't want to be like preachy and try to promote SaberSim. I'm just like speaking from our experience. Yeah. It, we had to make so many mistakes and be completely uncompromising in a way that three years ago, I didn't like, right? I, I wanted us to take more shortcuts and just sort of like, because we'd have mistakes, right? It, it was like a trial and error process. If you screw up one thing, it can have like very, very different results than you want, want it to, right? Um, can you give me an and, example of some of those mistakes that, that would be put out? Yeah. Um, I think recently we had something with clock management right? It's um, something that we just actually recently improved upon, where it's like, how do you even project when a coach is going to call a timeout in a true play-by-play simulation, or how often someone's going to throw out of bounds more, or like towards the sideline, and and like developing that process, it is actually very complicated. And if you're really doing a simulation, which is a completely automated process, it takes a lot of work to actually figure it out. Um, trying to figure out like a yards process, like how a yards distribution works. It's not linear, right? It's not like right. there's an equal probability that it's going to be like three yards or eight yards or whatever, or um, things like that. Um, so it, it, it just is, it's, it's very difficult, but it just takes a lot of work. It's not, not doable. It just takes a lot of work. So in my opinion, I feel like that's sort of the hardest part. With the contest simulation, you know, it's it's all about just getting the lineups right for the contest. Right. Um, and I think that is a lot more doable. That's something that like you or me could figure out how to do. Definitely right? not me. Definitely not me. Well, no, Maybe but you. I mean, you could create, right? Like in any optimizer, you could create a set of 5,000 lineups or 10,000 lineups or whatever that you feel like mimics a contest, right? So like, if you can create those lineups, then if you have a really good simulation, then it's easy to just test those lineups through that simulation, right? But if you don't have a good simulation and you can just like mimic a contest, then that's not gonna be that helpful. So is the contest mimicking, because I, I've, I played around with all this stuff and I, yeah. I'm, so this year in showdown, I'm using Sims instead of a solver to make my, to make my lineups, you know, basically doing my inputs and, you know, creating my rules or whatever based on, you know, my read of the slate, but, but more or less sort of letting the, the computer, you know, decide like, these are the correlations you want to be focusing on. These are the ones you don't. And one question I've had, and and this is actually, this is more for main slate than for showdown, where in, in showdown, 
it is to me it's you know it's less of a, a ball knowing game you know it's less about knowing ball and it really is more like i still think right ball, ball knowers <laughs> i think in in nfl can win still i think because there is so much that like the field is is just gonna miss or not be attuned to or or whatever you know where pure math players might be a step behind and i don't maybe maybe that's just coping because i certainly am more of a ball knower type player than than a, a math player so inside the simulations is it assuming that the other lineups in the comp let's say we're simming for the week four millionaire maker this weekend on DraftKings. yep so is the way the simulation working assuming that the other 110,000 entries or whatever that they are playing optimally that they are playing correlated lineups that they are just clicking buttons that the ownerships in aggregate are going to reflect the projected ownership like how much at a truly granular level is it projecting all the other lineups that you're playing against yes so i i can't speak for other sites but for our process we're trying to mimic the contest as best as possible right? For the bigger contest, it's actually more of like a toy game, right? Because we're not making like 100,000 lineups, right? We're making like 5,000 lineups and trying to mimic the entries in the contest as best as possible. Um, and so, so essentially, we're doing that as best as possible. And then we're simulating each game using our play-by-play -play simulator, I think now it's like 50,000 times or some multiple of 10,000 times. And then just evaluating the lineups you build, like each lineup against that toy contest, basically, that's trying to mimic the entries as best as possible um, based on, you know, we're, we're doing it based on actual contest results. Okay. That is, I mean, yeah. that is, that is interesting. And obviously yeah. like that, that changes a lot based on the contests you are playing too. Like something that yeah. might be plus EV in the Millie Maker might be like, like I play, I mostly play the single entry stuff, like the 50, 100, $200 single entry stuff on yeah. DraftKings. And um, I guess to a certain degree, like probably Sims are actually more helpful in that style of contest because at the end of the day, like truly zoom all the way out on the chart, like you're not winning in these like crazy lottery field tournaments, like without hitting the nuts. Uh, and right. you, you need like, like the stone nuts, you're, you know, you got 250 points. I mean, uh, you know, a chain or whatever in, in the smaller contest, 500 people, a thousand people, there are you, you like, you would not have had to have had a chain to win the, the double spy in week three of the NFL or whatever, you know? And so I, I actually feel like these tools are, more helpful to actually kind of like your grinder level DFS players who are not truly playing the lotteries, but are, you know, fo focusing on contest sizes that you can realize the EV in this lifetime. Um, or maybe that's yeah, wrong. I, mean, I don't know. I, no, I, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I mean, I think obviously it's very helpful. I use it and I think ours is really good. So it's very helpful. Um, and, you know, um, for what it's worth, I don't know if you've used our product, but we do have different um, contest sims for different contest sure. structures, right? So there's one that considers more of a high stakes or single entry ownership, low stakes, multi-entry, and then like flagship contests like the Millionaire Maker. So um, we try to take into account all that stuff. Um, 
and what I've noticed when I've been, you know, reviewing and just looking at what our simulations sort of favor, you know, um, it does seem like for a millionaire maker style contest, just, you know, you're just going for win rate basically, um, where single entry, you know, playing just like a chalky QB can be very good. Right. So, um, it, it definitely is different strategy for different contest styles. Well, that's actually something that is sort of on the the tip of the tongue right now, too, because super chalky teams won all the money on DraftKings in week three of 2023, right? You needed, uh, you know, uh, Cousins or Herbert. You needed Keenan Allen. Mike Williams was in some of the contests. Some Somebody wasn't. Tyreek, obviously. And that, I think, is sort of at the heart of what the Sims do the best which is that there, and I mean, you've been around DFS for a long time, you know this, like, oh, the the 25% owned chalk running back, like you can't play him in this tournament, like he's just too owned. And that is uh, Brian, Brian Hooper always says this, but that, you know, that's basically just like numerology for, for bros instead of science. Like it's basically just, it's, it is a, maybe it is a heuristic that was really helpful for winning in like 2018 or 2019 when the field had less access to these tools and just in general was not as sharp but is far less applicable now because you can actually get the answer. Right. No, it's true. And um, so far studying the tool, um, the answer has been, the answers have been interesting, at least from SaberSim's perspective. I used to sort of be in that boat about, you know, if a running back or some player is going to get X ownership, I don't want to play them. Um, but that actually when, you know, looking at the contests and looking at the simulations, I don't actually, I actually feel like that's less true now than I thought before. So just a interesting tidbit. Well, it, yeah. it actually makes sense, right? Because if you're, yeah. if, if assumption A is the field is way better, there's not very much dead money in these contests. The field is, is, uh, you know, at, at, as time goes on, the field will only get better and better at identifying right. the best plays. So it doesn't really make a ton of sense to just be giving up you know, 15, 20, 25 projected points in every single lineup you're making because right. you're, you are just asking for too much to go your way. And I never really thought of it that way before. And it's it's something that I'm trying to apply to like my personal play a little bit more. Like you don't, you know, you just don't, especially in like this, the, the single entry contest, like you don't need to just fade like literally every single one of the best right. plays. That That is a much harder avenue to realizing equity than, playing some of the best plays. Yeah. One thing I've noticed this season as well is people are really now into, and I don't know if this is the sim influence or something else, but I, they're just like, isn't a chalk quarterback anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just like quarterback ownership is, is getting really, really spread out. And it's just something I've noticed for the first few weeks of the season. It makes me think like, you know, are people kind of going too far trying to sort of like have this like tricky sort of process that's sort of just leading them astray from just like playing the best plays or playing the best QB, you know, like Kirk Cousins, just Justin Jefferson was not that owned. Justin Herbert, I think, was not very owned. It, it just was like, did not end up, you know, when when people are like, oh, I really love this play. It's just like they are just not getting that high ownership. So it's kind of interesting. 
It is interesting. And I can only speak from my perspective as someone trying to use these tools, but still, you know, again, at the end of the day, clicking the buttons myself, like I go in and make my lineups as educated as I can be. And a lot of what I've, I mean, actually this season, I just have been losing money with 3% owned Lamar Jackson because like in, in, well, just in my head, I'm like, you know, the, the probability that Lamar ends up being optimal is so much greater than what the field is doing. And the probability also that Mark Andrews ends up being optimal is far higher than what the field is playing, which it sounds really good, right? That is an intent. Like, it sounds like I've thought about it. It sounds intelligent, but at the end of the day, I mean, one, I am just being a numerology bro and, and assuming these things, but it's also, you know, the, it, it is just not taking into account um, a lot of the scoring distributions of the guys who score the most points, which is another meta that's changed in NFL DFS, which is that it used to be running backs and now it's wide receivers and the wide receivers obviously are going to correlate so heavily to their quarterbacks. Like, Tua and Kirk Cousins are just going to end up being in optimal lineups so often this season because they are connected to the highest scoring players in the NFL. Whereas someone like Mahomes, who, you know, if we were running Sims in 2019, the year he won MVP with Kelsey and Tyreek, would have been the optimal guy a lot of the times. But like the micro district, like very niche DFS stuff is that he doesn't have guys who score a lot of points with him. Um, which I guess I, I would have a question as to how the simulations are accounting for that. But like any given week, Mahomes is fairly likely to be the highest projected scoring quarterback, but is not going to have very many other good plays on his team. Yeah. So um, last week um, when I was reviewing um, what it turned out to be true for Saberson was Saberson just really liked just Mahomes Kelsey with no one else. Uh, skinny stacks um and that was basically it it seemed like maybe some right. pacheco with him too but um you know it it, it just goes to show also it's like you know it, it's not like these contest sims or the simulations are going to do something that doesn't make any sense right? right it's like if it doesn't follow logic then probably something is wrong right and you know, still a huge part of making good lineups is projection. So, you know, I, I, it, it like, it, it's just like none of these guys are projecting well. Hopefully, Rasheed Rice at some point starts yeah, projecting right. well because he's, he looks really good. But, you know, it's not just like you're going to do these simulations. It's going to unlock that you should just use like Mahomes and MVS every week until it hits, you know. It, it's not like that. So yeah, um, something that as I was reviewing last week, it just Saberson just really, really liked Mahomes, Kelsey, just that skinny stack, not even a bring back. And that was it. And that seems actually pretty straightforward when you think about it, but uh, it's nice to have that confirmation and actual um, data-driven analysis like Saberson does. It is. And I mean, you actually, like, I feel like it's almost become passe at this point to say like, you know, the projection inputs matter. Like no one even is like talking about the accuracy projections anymore. There are, uh, I mean, there are multiple people who play in the high stakes contests and stuff who just use publicly available projections, you know, whether it be right. ETR or RG or SaberSim or whoever. And that's just the, the inputs that they use. And then their bet is that my simulations are better. My contest simulations are better my project ownership is better whatever it might be um 
but there is still like some value in knowing where the projections can be faulty and taking a stand. Uh, like an example for me is on Thursday night or was it Monday night? The, the, the Eagles, the Eagles Buccaneers game. I went in to my projections that I'm using for, for some stuff. And I changed the Eagles rushing share. I like moved swift way higher, moved Gainwell down, moved Hertz down a little bit because I mean, one, I thought that that was like close enough to being accurate, but the way that I built, I it's, and maybe this is just because I, again, I'm not understanding the play-by-play simulations that well in terms of like, so if I give Swift 40% of the carries and Gainwell 30%, like how is that building into the range of outcomes of like what, well, what happens when Swift gets 65% of them or what happens, you know, like, or, or how it deals with the efficiency. I feel like that is, maybe something that can be built into these. And I know it's stuff that people inside of DFS have worked on for a while. Like what's the right way to calculate ceiling projections. And I I mean, feels very important for contest simulations, but I don't really know how you would tackle that. Yeah. I mean, we try to make it so you can adjust players very easily and it, it actually is built into the simulations, but yeah, it's very hard. I mean, person who comes to mind is petty theft clearly does not use simulations. He is hilarious and sort of like rags on them, but he's a really successful daily fantasy NBA player, like probably one of the best. He clearly is very good at projecting and, you know, there's, there's different ways to win. I, I, I don't, I don't think anyone is going to say that simulations or contest simulations is the only way to win. Um, It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about poker before this, you know, it's like, with poker, it's like there's people who are good at reading people. There's people who really technically sound very mathematical, and there's a lot of ways to win. Same with DFS. You could be a tape bro. You can be someone who just has really good intuition, who's been playing for a really long time, or you could use a some sort of model or some sort of contest simulation. There's lots of ways to win. Well, that's actually kind of what I wanted to get into next is, um, obviously, you've been in the poker world for a while, because you were, you were a... Uh, a poker boom guy as well like I you started playing in 2008 I started playing in when I was in high school which was 2006 yeah yeah so you've seen I mean you've seen from from the free money games right where where it was like basically impossible to lose if you knew the the hand rankings to I mean how much do you do you play uh, outside of the World Series of Poker, like, are do you do you play all that often? Oh, I, I play. It's it's not really a part of my life anymore. I play very little. Um, yeah. I play a few World Series of Poker tournaments a year, and sometimes a cash game, but that's basically it. But yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it certainly there were similar arcs, right? When I first started playing poker, if you just played really tight and played like twenty percent of hands, you'd probably win. I remember in Daily Fantasy when I first started, you could just play head-to-head with someone who straight up played someone who was injured. Right. Um, <laughs> there wasn't good information, right? So um, it was very similar like that. And that's, you know, why sort of when DFS started getting popular, I just jumped right in. I'm like, wow, this is like online poker in 2006, right? Um, and yeah, I feel like, you know, with these, contest simulations that are being built as i mean especially ours in my opinion i i don't i can't speak for the other ones um it is kind of like in my opinion it's like pio solver for dfs right i don't know if you're familiar with pio solver but it's like you know it's like a gto tool for dfs so i feel like it's kind of 
have similar in that way. Right. And, and so pile solver, I, I, I went in, um, I went through a period during COVID, which I think a lot of people did of getting really back into poker again after I mean, basically logging out. Like I remember walking back my freshman year of, uh, of college to my dorm room to log on to full tilt and getting the, uh, you know, the DOJ thing. And then for me, I like, I would play in college. I would play live. There was a casino about 30 minutes from where, uh, where, where I went to college at Kansas state where, and they would run a $45 no limit hold'em tournament on Sundays. And we would go and play that a lot. But in terms of like playing online or reading the books or keeping up with like who the best player was. Like I, I just had kind of logged out of that because it was relatively inaccessible to me. So coming back into it and reading about the solvers and I read um, Andrew Brokos's books, uh, thinking poker one and two, which we were talking about toy games earlier. And it made me think of it. Um, you know, the toy games being very useful when you are involved in any kind of you know gambling speculation and you know thinking about thinking type activity and it does to me very closely resemble poker or sports betting or whatever where it's like anything where there's money to be made on speculation eventually it just becomes harder and harder to to mine that gold right as as everyone kind of understands the rules that the game is being played by and yeah when i started playing dfs no one understood the rules like it, everyone was terrible I, I you know and all these sites existed you could get so much more money down you know it's just that the environment in in all aspects has really tightened up and um you know it's just it's it's harder to be very good at dfs now yeah i will say though you know poker is solvable and I don't think DFS is solvable, For sure. right? You can't like, the the reason something like Pi Solver works is because you can actually have two computers play poker against each other. And if you do it for a long enough period of time, they can figure out the best strategy, right? You can't do that with Daily Fantasy because the rules, the, the, the like we can't force players to play a certain way. It's It's all speculation. Right, it's all about trying to figure out what players going to have what target share and things like that. Right, so um, I don't think it's going to go the same arc as poker in that way because it just you you can't really solve that aspect of it, and because of that, I think you know as as long as people love it, which people do, yeah, there's going to be enough money in it and enough ways to find an edge that you know, it, it's probably going to be around for a very long time. Well, the ranges in sports are infinite, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah, players, exactly. the, 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 and, and I mean, to get like, to get so micro, you know, in, into the weeds on it, but like, so there are, you know, there are 52 cards. There are, uh, I forget. I used to know this, like the number of permutations of hands, like it, it's a lot, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot right. of hands, um, but it's still finite right and can be right. can be computed can be and uh you know you can get a lot of information on what people do and what wins and what and, and all this stuff right which is why pio solver works and for sports it, it doesn't work that way the only thing that's finite for daily fantasy is the amount of salary you have to spend and the salaries of the players themselves but you know i mean we get we get records broken every week. There are, there are ranges of outcomes that are, are, you know, certainly not accounted for. There is injuries there, like just the, 
So I, I definitely agree with your base point, which is that Daily Fantasy, to me, is a game that can approximate something like, um, you know, GTO play in terms of what would happen beforehand. But GTO play, much easier to defeat in Daily Fantasy than it is in poker, which is actually done the same way as if you're playing up against a, a GTO wizard in cards, you would play a more, I guess, exploitative style, which would be the same thing in DFS, I think. I, maybe that's wrong. Um, I don't know how to answer that question. You definitely play more aggressive, that's for sure. sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, like, and and I mean, just thinking of you know okay let's say let's say you you just you're listening to this and you're you're not a sim bro you're not interested uh it you know i i for whatever reason i think what you just said is right which is that the the move would be to be more aggressive in your player takes probably in your ownerships like if you were playing a 150 set just like be really overweight on guys or really underweight on high projected players because then you're getting into blind spots of the projections themselves not the sims but of the of the projections so like if you think the projections are wrong and you know a huge chunk of the field is using them that would be a way to exploit that yeah i mean it's like you know for your process of actually building lineups for a slate it's like i i bet people can do a wide array of things um to win right I, For sure. The 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 thing about the contest sim process that SaberSim has is it makes things really simple for me. Like it helps me order my lineups in a way where I'm choosing, like more easily choosing the best lineups, and I can focus on doing that research, right? Looking at stats, finding coaches quotes, things like that. So it's just like a a nice, easy, and fun process for me, and it, it's profitable, right? But it's like you can build lineups in any way, right? I think what's really cool with the stuff we have right now is just the review process, right? We have something where you can, after a contest is done, you can look at the contest, see what the actual lineups were and see what the actual optimal lineups were based on our pre-contest sims, given what actually happened in the contest, like what actually the lineups ended up being, right? You know, like week three, CJ Stroud got very steamed in my opinion right i thought he was going right. to have like three percent ownership in some of these single entry contests he had like 10 percent ownership and some people had lower ownership right and you and reviewing that can help inform your process for the next week whether you're using contest sims or not so um one thing that i'm finding with our new tools is is basically like i'm really improving my process of like thinking about what am i look even looking for when I'm making lineups and what am I, what should I try to get more of, or what should I use, use my own eye to, to figure out who to get more of that. I mean, I think that, I think that's pretty helpful. Like lining, um, lineup selection, like, which feels like it's like, that's a term that didn't exist like a couple years yeah. ago, but like, yeah. you know, you do, so you do your Sims, it spits out 10,000 lineups, whatever. Um, I do if you don't have to give away any of the secret sauce if you don't want to, but in terms of lineup selection, so once you run your set, you've got your you've got your simulated play-by-play -play data, you've got your simulated contest selection or uh, contest sims. What is what do you look for 
what's your process like in choosing the lineups once you have them generated? Yeah. So um, with Saberson, basically my process is, so we have, oh, basically when you adjust a projection of a player, um, we adjust the simulation of that player in a way that makes it sort of fit with what you're doing. Um, and so, so basically my process is mostly doing projection adjustments, getting my projections really good, and then sort of making some sort of metric that takes into account where I think players' ownerships are going to be higher or lower, um, depending, different, differing from our own contest sim. And then other than that, it's just sort of like, you know, just like preening the lineups and getting a little more of this guy or getting a little more. Kind of a little bit of an art form, right? At a certain extent, yeah. Yeah, and just um, trying to just favor people that, you know, I intuitively wanted more of or less of. Um, And that's about it. It, It's not a very, the the longest process, honestly, is just adjusting projections and, and researching people. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, I mean, again, it it does. Also, I think that kind of dispels uh, a, a concern that's out there of like, um, you, when when the new sim product gets launched, you you'll hear people worry like, well, aren't the users just going to dupe each other? You know, because they're they're working off the same data set, they're working off the same base simulation, right. and I I I I think it's a good thing for people to not have to be worried about cannibalizing off of each other using the same base simulation, which I, I think is important. I also, I don't I don't get why someone would just want to literally not do anything or not do any thinking or anything, right? It's like, yeah, you know, you could just literally, I mean, you actually can't do this because you need to adjust two players' projections or do something right, right. to like get lineups in our product. And I think that goes for any product because if, um, the community guidelines at DraftKings, but like, I, I don't get why you wouldn't want to just have some takes, right? And like, be like, I like this guy, I don't like this guy. Even if it's just you being intuitive, like, I, I don't understand that anyway. So, you know, if someone's just like clicking buttons and not really doing anything, um, they might get similar lineups, but I, I, I just but they're not going to be good lineups, right? Because they're they're still no, they're going to. I I mean, I think they're going to be good. I mean, like our base product, I think is very very good, right? Sure. I I, I think you're certainly going to get profitable lineups. I just think you can make them more profitable. Right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. It's not it's not using it to the full extent of um of what it could be. Okay. So the last thing yeah. that I want to chat about is um what I think is sort of the, it's the thing that I'm most interested in, which is these, uh, these best ball contests. Like it's the thing okay. that it's the thing that I've had the most, it's the thing that I have the most fun doing. It's also the thing that I think is like the most exploitable right now. Now, obviously um, how often am I realizing my expectation in best ball mania for uh, like once in, <laughs> once in a million lifetimes. Right. So one, what would, bringing sims to season-long fantasy look like two is it even because of the top heavy nature and the fact that it is literally one 17 game slate that takes you know 17 weeks late is that even something that is worthwhile building uh yeah just sort of your general thoughts on on that arena 
Yeah. So I think in a way, there's a way that it wouldn't be helpful, right? Um, and I think what would be really hard to do technically is to take into account how players change throughout a season, right? Or simulating injuries or whatever things that it just would be really difficult. It's very complex. It just adds like a whole other layer of complexity. Um, but I think it is something where you could create some sort of toy game that might help you with lineup construction. Um, and we're very early in this, right? And as you said, it's like hard to actually know if you're doing something right or wrong. It's all kind of theoretical, like just because someone won Best Ball Mania or some big DraftKings basketball contest. Right. Does that mean they're good or that means they're lucky? Right. Probably means they were lucky. Well, maybe for sure means it for sure right. means they were lucky. <laughs> they're really right? they're really lucky. Yeah. Whether they're good or not, I don't know how much signal that has, right? You know, well, this so, is my um, favorite. Yeah. This is my favorite thought experiment with that. I, I did yeah. this last year. I calculated, you know, basically every 12 players. So the best players score in week 17, the week where all the money is won. If you would have had perfect knowledge of the box scores of week 17 and you could have drafted the, the the best scoring player rounds one through 18 that team would not have advanced out of their pod on average that if you if you just optimized for for the highest scoring players in week 17 so it it, it does go to show like there are just quite a bit of wrinkles that i think would be very hard to solve yeah i think lineup construction and best ball is super interesting and i think i i have a theory about how people build lineups that I think might be a mistake, but that I think if you you tried to like simulate a season, it might show that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think it's super interesting. It it's just like there's so much money in it, and it's uh, it's such in its infancy. The issue for me is it's so time consuming, and I don't want to put that much time in. So I would love to figure out a way to auto draft profit profitably but that's like impossible so that's the beauty of the game right it's you know i i love this kind of stuff where it's something that's like not really solvable and not really automatable it really evens the playing field so i think it's really cool i don't spend that much time on it but it clearly is very fun and i think it's a cool new game for sure. Well, I think, I mean, the thing that people love the most about it is that it's not even close to being solved, that we don't really have the answers on right. what should you be optimizing for? What is actually the perfect roster construction given this, given the subset of rules that we are are playing in? Or, or what does your distribution of positions early on in the draft when you're spending the most capital, what does that actually mean? Now we have, like, we can guess and we can have intuition like, Oh, if you don't take a quarterback until the 11th round, maybe take three of them or, or just whatever, you know? Right. And that, that is the kind of thing that you, I mean, um, Brian Hooper built like a, like a, an attempt at this basically. And then underdog told him he couldn't, he couldn't use it, that it, that it violated terms of service, but like kind of started trying to lay the groundwork for what, like basically just a smart auto drafter, not, not a solver, not a simulation, not, you know, anything he would consider perfect, but just a smart right. auto drafter. And I mean, even that, like a smart auto drafter that was allowed and that I thought worked, like I would use in like the $5 contest so I could max them all out without, uh, you know, having to spend the time doing it. Yeah. 
and I, my my guess is five years from now, there's going to be like a best ball drafting strategy that's wildly different than than what people do now. I I would I would bet money on that. Interesting. Do you want do you yeah. want to give away the sauce of what you think people are doing wrong? You don't have. Okay. To. So here is no no no. Here is what I think. I think that because it's really hard to get actual quality players in late rounds and that wide receiver range of outcome week to week, even for these guys who are like, you know, third wide receivers or people who would be like projected at nine DraftKings points or something. They have such a wide range of outcomes that I feel like, you know, if when I did the few drafts that I did that I sort of just load up on running back at the top and then just draft like 10 plus wide receivers just completely at the back end and thinking that, okay, you know, like just hoping to basically get through by having three of those 10 hopefully hit every week or just um, getting guys who outperform like that. Because otherwise, you know, if you draft these running backs in the 15th, 16th plus round, a lot of times you're just going to get like zeros the entire season where I think that like 20th round wide receiver can contribute to your team probably three or four weeks out of the year. So that's, it's interesting because that's the exact opposite of what the the field has done. The field looked at, you know, basically like Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill and Jamar Chase. These guys score so many more points than, than right. the other wide receivers. So we got to get them. And then we just backfill in running backs and hope to hit the nut. You hope, you hope to hit Kyron Williams. You hope to hit Zach Moss or, or whoever. Um, and that is sort of, so it's just, I would guess that probably just doing the opposite of what literally everyone you're drafting against is doing even if even if clicking the button on alexander madison which is like i literally maybe did not do that once the entire summer because it just makes me sick because i think his um it is it is saying i know better than the market and like i you know i can't think of how many times in my life that's been right probably i could count it on one hand where the market has been that wrong and i've been right on on something like that so it is it is kind of interesting and and we just don't know right i mean it literally is no. like we're we're just guessing yeah that i don't know how we would have a way of knowing right someone would really have to somehow build out something that really simulates this well which is just i don't i don't think it's going to happen um at least in the next few years so right it's like i, I don't even know and just because every good player is doing something doesn't mean it's right. It just means they're probably doing it more smartly, more smartly, right. smarter than other people. Right. So yeah, for sure. It's very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get out of here. Tell the people how they can access all these cool tools that we've been talking about over at Sabersim. Yeah. Uh, Sabersim.com. I am an investor in it. Uh, we have contest simulations and simulation-based tools. We're an optimizer and a projection system. And I think our stuff is really, really good. Um, and you can get a free trial checking it out for, I think, five days. So um, I really like it. I recommend it. And we have a lot of good videos, YouTube, podcast stuff, everything. So yeah. Beautiful. There we go. Everyone, you guys can check that out over at sabersim.com. There will be a link to that in the description of this podcast, and I will be back next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.